0: been intended that i should be cast adrift on the continent as a semi-imbecile it was that fact which maddened me the poor girl might not have been his niece of course but whoever she had been this man had had some very strange and distinct motive in getting rid of her what it was i had vowed to discover it was apparent that de gex was anxious to get rid of me Indeed, as we stood together in that fine old room, across the marble floor of which strayed long beams of sunlight, the door opened and a pretty woman came in. She was dressed to go out, and asked, "'Will you be long, dear?' It was the beautiful Mrs. de Gex. In an instant I recognized her by the many photographs I had seen in the picture papers. "'No, I'll be with you in a minute, dear. Is the car there?' he asked. "'It's been there a quarter of an hour.' and if we don't go now we shall be late in meeting Hilda at the station,' she said, glancing at me with undisguised annoyance. Then she left, closing the door after her. Across my brain ran strange thoughts. I recollected his words in Strayton Street regarding his spiteful wife when I had been called in to listen to his matrimonial troubles, but husband and wife now appeared to be on quite amicable and even affectionate terms. I confess that I was still bewildered as you, my reader, in whom I am here reposing confidence, would I believe have been had you found yourself in similar circumstances. I see that your wife is eager to go out, I said, but I fear I must, before I go, press for a direct answer to my questions, Mr. De Gex. My dear sir, I have answered them. What more can I say? he exclaimed with affected dismay. A very great deal. You can tell me the truth i have he snapped who this girl engledew is i have not a ghost of an idea are you certain she is dead positive i saw her lying dead in the room which adjoins your library what my wife's room he cried oh come let us finish all this silly talk when you are at least frank with me i am but do you deny that the young lady gabrielle engledew died there do you not recollect that we both stood at her deathbed?" don't talk such piffle de gex snapped no doubt believing in the end that he would convince me of his ignorance of the whole tragedy whatever had happened on that november night was no doubt to the distinct advantage of the wealthy man who stood before me yet i was faced with a difficulty he had uttered that most ugly word blackmail suppose he called the police and accused me of it his word the word of a wealthy financier would no doubt be taken by a jury before my own. On the other hand, I had up my sleeve a trump card the death and cremation of the mysterious Gabrielle Engledew. Probably the poor victim was poisoned, hence the object of her cremation to remove all traces of it. Yet, opposed to that, there still remained my own most serious offense of posing as a medical man and giving a Ford certificate concerning the cause of death. Yes. I was only too keenly alive to my own very precarious position. Yet I was emboldened by de Gex's agitation and the pallor in his sallow cheeks. He was, no doubt, feeling very uneasy, and even a millionaire can feel uneasy when faced with a witness of his own offense. Mr. de Gex, I am not talking rubbish, I said in all seriousness. You appear to forget that night when your wife deserted your son in Westbourne Grove. "'and then laughed at you over the telephone from a public call-office. "'He looked at me very straight with those deep-set eyes of his. "'Really,' he exclaimed, "'that is quite a new feature in the affair. "'Let me see. What did I tell you?' "'Your man Horton invited me, a mere passer-by, "'into your house in Straighten Street. "'He said you were very much worried and asked if I would meet you. "'Why, I cannot imagine. "'When we met you were very vague in your statements.' and at first i could not for the life of me discover why i had been asked to meet you but soon you confided to me the fact that your wife being spiteful towards you had abandoned your heir little oswald in westbourne Grove and had then rung up from a call office telling you to find him bosh my dear fellow bosh was his reply first you were never there and secondly i've never complained of my wife's behaviour to anyone certainly not to a stranger you did to me "'I certainly am not dreaming. "'But you have already admitted that you've been in hospital in St. "'suffering from loss of memory.' "'My memory has now fortunately been restored,' I replied. "'Distorted, without a doubt. "'You would never travel all the way from London to relate these absolutely silly stories to me, "'if you were in your right senses, my dear Mr. Garfield,' he said. "'They're not silly stories, but hard, indisputable facts,' I declared resentfully. The millionaire had assumed an air of nonchalance, for, leaning against a big old buell table, he took out a cigarette from his gold case and slowly lit it, after which he said, You must, I think, really excuse me. We have to go down into Florence to meet my sister-in-law, who is coming from London. I'm afraid, Mr. Garfield, that I cannot help you any further. You mean you won't? Not at all if I knew anything of this young lady who you said died in my wife's bedroom in Strayton Street, and at whose bedside you and I stood together, I would tell you. But I really don't.' He tossed his cigarette hastily out of the open window. "'No,' he added, "'I won't hear any more. I haven't the time or the inclination to listen to the wanderings of any insane person. I've had enough.' "'And so have I,' I retorted. You are trying to mislead me by affecting ignorance of my very existence, but I don't intend that you shall escape,' I added, again raising my voice. "'Hush, please,' he said in a calmer tone. "'My wife may overhear. I don't care,' I cried in desperation. "'You never dreamed that I should arise against you, as I have. You are not fair towards me. If you revealed to me in confidence the reason you gave me that bribe of five thousand pounds, then I, on my part, would have played the straight game.' my dear sir play whatever game you like it is immaterial to me whether straight or crooked i don't know anything about what you have been talking and you have only wasted your breath and got out of temper for nothing again i looked him straight in the face there was no doubt that the strain of his clever denials were telling upon him his dark complexion had paled In his eyes there was a fierce, haunted look as that of a man who was straining every effort to remain calm under the gravest circumstances. "'I have no game to play,' I declared. "'I only demand the truth. Why was I invited into your house in Straton Street to be present as witness at the poor girl's death?' "'I don't know. Find out for yourself, my dear Mr. Garfield,' laughed the rich man. "'I have no time to discuss this silly affair further. I'm sorry you have troubled to come out from London to see me but really yours has been a fool's errand.' And he turned towards the door. "'A fool's errand,' I echoed. "'I am no fool, and my errand is in deep earnestness. You may try to befool me, but I tell you that I will leave no stone unturned to solve a problem which you alone can explain.' "'Well, get along with your work,' he laughed in open defiance. "'I have no further time to waste.' And glancing at his watch he opened the door and abruptly left me. End of chapter four Recording by tom Weiss, TomsAudiobooks.com